When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, and it's time to get up with the star of the stars. Jerry has Dax back, but then he lacked a smack when he whacked back on the flat. Bars! Then we talk about the pack. Have they found the formula? And is it stunningly less Aaron Rodgers? We've got the answers. They play tomorrow. Plus, why, Eagles, why? Did Monday expose Philly's fatal flaw? Are they really still the team to beat in the NFC? We've got answers to all your questions as we get up with you starting Right now, delighted you are here. I've got bars for oh, days. You were spitting off the top. Spitting. Exactly right. Chris Canty, whatever you do, don't dap him up with your left hand. We found that out the hard way. Nick is here. Jeremy is here. Heather Dinich is ready to break down your brackets, but we begin in Dallas, home of the six and three Cowboys and a suddenly struggling quarterback. Dak Prescott threw a pair of picks in an overtime loss to Green Bay on Sunday. Our Stephen A. Smith was critical of Dak on first take. Jerry Jones asked about that yesterday. Yesterday, he said Jerry Jones has not gotten his money's worth out of Dak Prescott. He could be this team's weak link. I can say that's not correct. The strength that I look at of our chance to win a championship is Dak and his leadership at that position. Does that mean that Dak's going to win every game or make every comeback or every key situation? Uh, You can answer that one. Of course not. But by the same token, if you were constructing the possibility of competing for uh, a Super Bowl, I would start right there with Dak. All right, so there is the comments from Jerry Jones. A lot of people had mixed opinions on the entire sort of tete-a-tete there. You got Dak, you got Stephen A., you got Jerry Jones. Where do you fall on Dak's level of culpability for what could have been a very tough loss in Green Bay on Sunday? Well, he's got to own some of it, but I think it's much more of an indictment on that skill position course, specifically the receivers in Dallas. And when you look at what they do, especially on third down, they're awful. Their receivers are 27th in creating separation on third down. And that's why the Cowboys struggle throughout the entire year, whether Cooper Rush or Dak is the quarterback. They're 26 in plays per drive. They've got to find a way to get more firepower on the edges. They've got to go out and sign Odell Beckham immediately. Nick, you talked about it last week. That's something that they've got to do because it showed up in overtime on that fourth and three. You need somebody other than CeeDee Lamb to be able to beat man coverage. They don't have that dude. Cowboys receivers. Other than CeeDee Lamb, only two touchdown grabs on a year. I understand what you're saying. Is there also, do they also have a tendency with Dak back to get a little pass happy? That's one of the things that I've heard people suggest here. At, at the end of the day, they were running it effectively. At least the numbers suggest they were running it effectively on Sunday. And yet they threw the ball a lot more than they ran it. Yeah, they did. And here's the thing. In the fourth quarter, you'd like to see them be more run-centric. But then you're worried about the workload that you're giving Tony Pollard. And you don't quite trust Malik Davis in those situations. So I can understand why Kellen Moore got away from it a little bit, but it wasn't that skewed. We're talking about eight pass attempts versus six rush attempts, so it's not like the Dallas Cowboys 
had an issue with trying to run the football. But when you can't convert on third downs, that's where it becomes a problem in terms of being able to stay with the run and salt the game away. Yeah, when you only run 14 plays, it's hard to have that kind of distribution. But at the same, that might be one of the reasons they only run 14 plays. So I, I asked the musical question before we began. Uh, Jerry sounded like he had Dax back, but did he lack the smack when he whacked back on the flag? <laughs> that is the question. Hot 16. That I'm trying Got to him. ask. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, what it comes down to for the Cowboys to me is their defense. Like, you're reliant on their defense. Their defense is the best thing that they have, and that's what they are dependent on. And they didn't come through in this particular situation. On the offensive side of the ball, I like that Chris is here because I don't have to deal with, like, old-school crazy football people saying, run the ball every single play. Every single play, you got to run the ball. What you need to do is get first downs. You need to convert down sets. If they can't do it through the air and their best player is their quarterback, then you want to give him a chance to do it. If he's not getting – if people aren't getting open he's making bad decisions, that's a different conversation. But just turning around and continuing to hand the ball to your running back is not always the answer. What, what, Jeremy, as you talk to people, because you're always talking to people both inside and yeah. outside that building, what are they saying about Dak Prescott right this well, minute? Well, I'm not going to lack the slack for Dak. Oh, We're going to run it back yeah. because I've asked some teams last night and this morning, and they say, look, this is still a top 10 to 12 passer in the NFL. That hasn't changed. 55 and 34 as a starter. And so he missed a month yeah. with the injury. So we're going to pump the brakes a little bit. And you have quarterbacks that come and go. This is a guy who's still proven. I expect a spite game this weekend against Minnesota. Mm. A major response. It's a phenomenal game on the schedule. Obviously, the Cowboys coming off a loss. The Vikings coming off what might have been the best win of the season. There's really only one question that I think matters to Jerry Jones right now, regardless of how well or poorly the quarterback plays. Does this have the look of a Super Bowl team? We see the Eagles finally lose. We'll talk about them a little bit later. They get a, a measuring stick against the Vikings. I don't know how much we believe in the Giants. NFC is kind of up and down. Do the Cowboys look like a Super Bowl team to you? No, because they can't stop the run. They got to get that fixed because all teams are going to do is replicate the formula that we saw Green Bay have. When you're talking about 40 rush attempts, that becomes a problem. And I said it going into that game. They needed to come out there with multiple tight ends, big personnel, and run directly at the Dallas Cowboys. Make them pay a price for having those athletic jump-around guys that love to rush the passer. Dallas can't jump in the nickel and dime and other sub packages when you're coming out there with big people. And as a result, when Dan Quinn tried to match personnel, Michael Parsons moves from a guy that's on the ball to off the ball. And then you got offensive linemen with 60s and 70s numbers running up on them. You neutralize the best player on the defensive side of the ball in the National Football League. First game Right. in Michael Parsons' career where he didn't record a quarterback pressure. One of the Teams are going to do that. Offenses are yeah. going to replicate that to see if the Dallas Cowboys can stop it. And, gee, I don't think they have the personnel to do it. One of, so one of the challenges that I think the Cowboys have is that their team, their defense, is built to stop the pass. It's a modern NFL defense, but we're encouraging their offense to slow down the game and run the ball. They should be trying. Like, I know we want to run the ball. They should be trying to score and get up so that they put their defense in the yeah. position to do the right thing. So while everyone's like, you got to run the ball, take the pressure off Dak, no. To me, that's not the answer for long-term success for them. The answer is to lean on what you do best, and what you do best is rush the passer, create turnovers. And they, in order to create that situation, they need to score points, and they need to throw the ball. I hear you. Now, the, 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 the counter-argument to that is they had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter of this game yeah. and didn't hold on because the Packers yeah, stayed patient the in their running game, which brings us to Green Bay. Packers have no time to celebrate that win from Sunday because they play tomorrow night. They take on Tennessee. This just days after Rodgers and company kept their season alive with that comeback win. And Rodgers, of course, connecting with Christian Watson for three touchdowns, and their running game came to life. Yesterday, Rodgers was asked if all that was sustainable. 
I don't know. I mean, the sustainable has become one of those words that gets said a little bit too much, I think, this year. So I'm going to stay away from the sustainable. I think it's all week to week. It really is. You try and find your identity throughout the season. In fact, the most important identity is competitive greatness and going out there and playing your best when your best is needed. We hadn't played a four-quarter game uh, all season. I felt like that was really close uh, Sunday. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just looking. At, is sustainable a word that we're using? <laughs> much, much, I guess. Seems like a pretty reasonable way to ask the question. Hey, you did something Sunday. Do you think you can do it again? Can they? Um, I don't think so. I, I think that he, uh, Aaron Rodgers showed a real a, a lack of confidence in his crew, which he's been up and down. I've yeah. been impressed with the way that this team has fought throughout the course of the season, and they still have confidence. But I do think it's a little too little, too late. And their best asset, it plays right into the hands of the Titans. They're a good running. Running team and the Titans defensive line is great at stopping them. So are you saying he lacked the smack because he knows the pack is white? <laughs> I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play. You, you were listening to Big Pun this morning. You don't know what I'm talking right. about. I'll play for you in the break. Right. That's what you reminded me of. I was listening to Taylor Swift this morning, that's but that's true, you were. Actually, it took me 20 minutes in the car to write that. True story. But 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 the, now I've forgotten the question because you've distracted. No, the question is: Is it sustainable? I know Aaron doesn't like the word, but it seems like a pretty reasonable question to me. Can is that the formula for that? Team? Team, they need to win. They're in the playoffs now. Right? Yeah, they basically yeah. need to win every game, and Tennessee isn't easy for anybody. Can yeah. they do that to the Titans tomorrow night? Well, Aaron Rodgers needs to pipe down. He's being too loud. But here's the thing. <laughs> I do think there is a potential for this to be the formula that they replicate down the stretch. Now, I don't think they're going to have much success against the Titans, but they'll have opportunities against no. teams that are on their schedule in the back half. But what you saw was Aaron Rodgers being able to utilize the run game to create separation between second and third level defenders and take shots downfield with play action. I mean, the Christian Watson touchdowns, Two of the three came off a hard play action with Aaron Rodgers yep. turning his back to the defense. And there's a reason why in that game, he averaged more air yards per completion than any game that he's played in this season. 11 yards per attempt in the air, 16 yards per completion in the air. He's only had one game in his most recent MVP seasons where he actually did that. So I think this is something that's going to bring out the best version of Aaron Rodgers. The question is, is he going to be amenable to it? Because we know that's how Matt LaFleur wants to play. But I don't know if that's necessarily Aaron Rodgers being sold on that game plan. And you saw some of that friction on the film when it got to fourth quarter overtime. Yeah, so when I talk to teams, they say Green Bay is not to be slept on as a fringe playoff team. Right. Like, that could mean eight and nine, right? I feel yeah. pretty confident saying that one team in the NFC is going to sneak into the playoffs with a losing record. And so Aaron Rodgers, when I talk to coaches, they say everything's still intact. He's still that guy, maybe a little bit less mobility. So if Christian Watson, one of these guys, can find that second gear, he's just been frustrated making mistakes because he hasn't had chemistry with those guys. Well, so. well, I mean, how, and what is the sense of the relationship right now between him and LaFleur? Because as you watch that play when he comes running off at the end and he's yelling at him and Chris is talking about what they did offensively is this what Rodgers wants to do is it what the coach wants to do it's not obvious to me that the two of them have been on the same page all year long and there's that moment great job by the crew having that ready Um, there's that moment as he walked off the field after that third down at the end of regulation what is the sense of just how satisfied Rodgers is with what they're doing in the Well, offense? the sense is when things broke down or when he needed a safety valve, he went to Devontae Adams. He always had that in his back pocket. Now that's gone. LaFleur and Rodgers have been 
you know, pitted with each other to try to figure it out, and there have been some growing pains with that. And so I think the relationship, from what I hear, is still good, uh, but you have moments like that that have yeah. crept in. I mean, the scariest thing about this team is the one thing that we always thought we could trust, even when they were bad, was that Aaron Rodgers is great. Yeah. And what we saw in the Detroit game is when I was completely out on them is because Aaron Rodgers was bad in that game. Yeah. If yeah. we can get an Aaron Rodgers that you can trust and, and these other guys start to grow and figure things out, yes, maybe they have a yeah. chance, but I honestly think they've dug themselves too deep a hole to, to get out of Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. if he asked Rodgers, about that moment and Rogers basically said I was frustrated with the play call and so was Matt which begs the question well then who the hell's making the play call <laughs> if he doesn't like it and he doesn't like it then I'm not exactly sure who it is that liked it in the meantime do they win tomorrow night that's the question and the answer is ooh, 50-50 say yes yeah. but the wrong side of the table says yes <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the players say no why not they can't stop the run yeah I mean gee Derek, Derek Henry, Henry coming down here yeah. good luck with that and we know how physical that Titans front can be we saw they hit Pat Mahomes nine times, sacked him four times. I feel like if the Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay Packers offense becomes one-dimensional, it could be a long night for Packers play. running game is almost as good, though. There's question marks around the coaching in Green Bay. You know where there should be no questions around coaching? Tennessee, quite possibly the best coach in all of football, Mike Vrabel. Okay, so we'll see if they're able to do it tomorrow night. That's where it begins. As we continue on a very spirited morning here on Get Up, was Tom Brady the one to blame for the Buccaneers' October issues? Are those issues now a part of their past? Wait until you hear what the former coach had to say yesterday. Plus, a critical injury that could change everything for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Plus, did Washington expose Philly's fatal flaw? We have all that coming, but that's not all. Heather, what else are we going to do? Green, I know you want to see two SEC teams in the college football playoff, but I'm going to give you one huge game on Saturday that can impact whether or not that actually happens. We'll hear which game it is next as we get up with you on ESPN. Delicious, meat nutritious, and the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is, not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. We are back on Get Up, and as promised, Heather is going to give us the one game that's going to impact this, the college football playoff rankings. No change last night in the top five. You see them there. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee. LSU is up to six. SC is at seven. Heather, you told us there was one game. Again, I root for chaos. And so, to me, if we get two SEC teams into the playoff, I know that will make a lot of people upset, and that's what I live for. But you told us that there was one game this weekend that will decide if that happens. What game is that? USC at UCLA. Here's why. You see Tennessee sitting there at number five. They're in great shape. But in that selection committee meeting room, if you don't win a conference title, you face a higher scrutiny from those committee members. USC has a chance to win at UCLA against Notre Dame and punctuate its resume with a conference title. That's three straight wins against ranked opponents. If that fourth spot is left and you have Tennessee without an SEC championship and USC with a Pac-12 title, Greeny, there are six Pac-12 teams ranked right now in the CFP Top 25. This could be a real big debate and no guarantee that the Vols are in. Well, the point is that that game, the SC-UCLA game, really could determine everything. Either SC has got a good shot or if UCLA wins the game against the Crosstown rival, is the Pac-12 essentially out? Done. It could eliminate the entire conference as well. So that is a huge must-win, make-or-break game in the Pac-12 between two rivals. Outstanding. All right, Heather, stay close by. We'll have Paul in here a little bit later. We'll get into some more of the meaning of last night's rankings. In the meantime, it is time for the game that is sweeping the nation. It is called Can He or Can't He? Here we go, Chris Canty. Can Tua win the MVP? Can he or can't he? He can't, G, and it's not because Tua isn't playing great. I think the Miami Dolphins are the team to beat in the AFC East, but there's a guy in Kansas City named Pat Mahomes who's on pace to break Peyton Manning's single-season passing yards record. He's got 25 touchdowns to seven interceptions, and he's quietly putting together the best season of his pro career, throwing touchdown passes to 11, count them, 11 different receivers. Right now, Mahomes is the betting favorite. Next, can Kirk Cousins lead the Vikings to the Super Bowl? Can he or can't he? He can, G, and it doesn't feel right that I'm saying this because we know Kirk Cousins can't step up in primetime games, but the team is undeniably really, really good. He's got the best record in the National Football League tied with the Philadelphia Eagles, and when you look at it, they've got a defense that's opportunity their top three in takeaways, and their offense can score points in bunches, plus they have a top ten rusher. And then here's a question that three weeks ago would have seemed ridiculous. Can Tom Brady win his eighth Super Bowl? Can he or can't he? He can, G. I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady. I'm just not going to do it. And even though they're 500 right now, this team is still in position to win their division. And if Tom Brady gets to the dance, how can you bet against him? He's 21-5 and in home playoff games, G. He's made the playoffs 19 times. Only three of those playoff trips Tom Brady was one and done. So there's a chance that he's going to make a deep run once he gets to the postseason. You know, it, it's such a week-to-week league. The last two weeks, they've looked so much better, and all of a sudden, a lot of us believe. And then I found these comments really interesting. Bruce Arians talking to a Buccaneers blog, and his take on the season, he said, I don't think it was fair to Byron, meaning Leftwich, when they were struggling earlier. Nobody is going to say that Brady was playing bad, but he was playing bad. He then goes on to say, I'm really optimistic about the rest of the season. First off, we're getting healthy. Tom smiled at practice last week for the first time this season. He's going to be fine. I thought that was 
It's just worth, I don't even yeah. know exactly what to yeah. make of it, yeah. but when you hear uh, Bruce Arians say, hey, no one else is going to say it, but I'm going to say it. Brady was playing bad, and now he looks better. And, you know, again, we all understand the announcement they made a couple of weeks ago. Maybe that removes a little bit of uh, pressure from him. I don't know what, yeah. what, what it is. One way or another, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think Bruce Arians and his loose lips might be the reason why he's not the head coach of that football <laughs> team anymore. But I appreciate it, Bruce. Please keep talking. And it may be true. I didn't, I didn't see Tom as the issue coming up to this point because there were so many other things to point to, but this team feels better now because their defense seems consistent. I know it's not fun to talk about. I know we want to point to Tom Brady and say he can do this, he can do that, but we all know when they won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, it was the defense that dragged them through the playoff run, and it is the defense that is going to get them in and make them good enough to be competitive this season, if anything does. It's not going to be Tom Brady, it's not going to be those receivers, and it's certainly not going to be the offensive line, and I don't think it's going to be Bruce Arians or his Kangaroo. Well, maybe not. Again, I, I just thought that was worth hearing. Yeah. But I agree with you. I'm not sure it means anything. Here's what I will say. And again, I, now mine is that rare genius that will not be fully appreciated until long after my time. But I said <laughs> no to you doubt. two weeks ago, too many of the things that are happening with the Buccaneers just don't make sense. Like Tom Brady and Mike Evans not being on the same page, that doesn't make sense. This defense with all these guys on it being awful, it doesn't make sense. It figured to turn a little bit, and it is turning a little bit. What are people saying about Brady and the Bucks? Well, they're not expected to surge here. It's more like a stumble into the playoffs. But this is a team that can still contend. NFC is wide open. They're going to get the four seed most likely if they win their division, which is largely expected now. Mm-hmm. But talking to people privately in Tampa, they know like they're just simply not as good as they were the last two years. Like they lost too many pieces, too many injuries, and they really need young players to actually help them spark things. Rashad White, running back, Cade yes. in the tight end, two rookies they really like. So they're hoping that infusion of youth actually helps them get to the finish line. Now, I like it. Look. A couple of years ago, we saw them go on a, on a, a somewhat unexpected run after their bye week. They never lost again. They never looked back. They won the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that's uh, what's going to happen here, but I don't know that it feels impossible. You talk about the four seed, maybe even the three. The teams out west have a lot of losses as well. Things could shape up kind of nicely for the Buccaneers. If you look at their schedule coming up here, they got some winnable games. Yeah, I think they've only got two teams on their remaining schedule that have winning records, Mm -hmm. so you feel good about that. You also feel good about them winning a division because they're going up against three teams that have backup level quarterbacks, so I think that'll give them some runway to figure out their identity. But the biggest thing that Neat brought up is their defense being able to stop the run. I think Rashad White's impact on that can't be understated. He's a guy that was able to allow them to control time of possession against the Seattle Seahawks defense. And your defense actually has a chance to get a break and get off the field. And so when you're coming back, you can absolutely fly around where you're only playing 40, 50 snaps in the game. So I think that's a big part of their formula for success. Not to mention giving Tom Brady some balance and not asking him to drop back 50 times. They, I, well, let me yeah, ask you one more okay. thing. But I thought you wanted to. No, I, I, yeah. I, I did because uh, part of Chris's sale on the Bucks is that they don't play any teams with winning records for the rest of the season. The Bucks also do not have a winning record. Right. So, like, suggesting <laughs> that they are already inherently better than all these teams are going to face, they have not been good this year. They've been so wildly inconsistent. And I guess the encouraging thing and the scary thing is – it's always a different hole on the ship. Right. If it was one hole, maybe you could go patch it. But it feels like every other week is like, oh, secondary's not good. D-line's not good. O-line's not good. Receiver's dropping the ball. It just seems like something's going to continue to pop That's up. That's fair. But the one guy who has always been able to patch almost every hole that he has ever encountered is Tom Brady. Yeah. And so when Bruce Arian says he smiled at practice yeah. last week, one of the things that we thought was missing from Brady was the all-in yeah. quality, the, the, the leadership quality. Maybe some of that is coming back with whatever resolution he 
Brady's had in his personal life. Yeah, a fully focused Brady is good for everyone, and not only for his play in preparation, but for the preparation of everyone around. If Tom Brady is there and Tom Brady is locked in, it's really hard as, I was going to say as a young guy, but everyone in the building is a young guy compared to Tom Brady. It's really hard for you to leave and stop watching film if Tom Brady's still there working out. So yeah, I think that improves everyone's output. Now, there's one thing we know about Bruce Arians. He's never, he's never lacked the knack to talk smack, and he does so <laughs> in the direction of Brady once again. As going. we continue, why Eagles, why did Monday expose Philly's fatal flaw? Are they really still the team to beat in the NFC? We'll answer those questions and more as we get up with you on ESPN. We are back, and let's play a game called Fact or Fiction. Hey, Dominique Foxworth, if I said the Chiefs are going to be the one seed in the AFC, is that fact or fiction? I'll go with fact. They're playing really well offensively right now, even though it's not as explosive as we remember it with Tyree Kill. It's still incredibly efficient, unstoppable, and that defense, uh, it makes plays when they need to. They don't need that many because it seems like stopping Patrick Mahomes is as difficult as it ever was. So, yeah, I think they hold on to the one seed. Jeremy, if I said the Giants are going to win the NFC East, is that Fact or fiction? That's fiction, but it, pain, it pains me to say that because what they're doing is tremendous. I mean, Daniel Jones, no interceptions the last six games. Saquon Barkley might get 1,700 yards. Brian Dable done an awesome job. They are accidental winners this year. They did not expect this, but I got Philly being a little stronger, a little more of a complete team. And then that does bring us to Philly. Canty, if we were to say the Eagles' fatal flaw was exposed on Monday night, would that be fact or fiction? That's fact. They can't stop the run. By success rate, they have the worst run defense in the last 15 years, G, and it got exacerbated with the Jordan Davis injury. He's been out since that Pittsburgh game. The last two games against the Texans, against the Washington Commanders, they allowed over 150 yards rushing in each of those ball games. That's a problem for the Philadelphia Eagles. They got mauled. It wasn't just inside-outside zone. It was hard double teams, and it was gap-blocking schemes. At one point, the offensive line for the Commanders had Fletcher Cox playing safety. Mm -hmm. It was bad. When you let a team rush the ball for 50 times, that's a problem. Yeah, they, they had injury added to the insult of that game the other night as well. Dallas Goddard, I assume you've heard right now, their outstanding tight end to shoulder injury. We don't know exactly how long he'll be out, but they say it will be an extended period of time. So, is that the Eagles' fatal flaw? No, it doesn't matter. I hate to offend your old-school football sensibilities. However, the fact of the matter is, in modern football, you don't lose like games by being, not being able to stop the run. That game that they lost to Washington was not because they stopped the run. It's because they had three uncharacteristic turnovers. That's why they lost. They destroyed the Texans even though they couldn't stop the run. The fact of the matter is, they are good at what you need to be good at. They are good at stopping big plays. They have a 3% uh, explosive play rate, which is the lowest in the league. That's what matters. If they give up a six, seven yard, eight yard run, it sucks. Yeah, you'd love to be able to stop everything, but more importantly is they have a productive offense and a defense that does not give up big plays. So if you have to be weak at something, that's where you want to be weak. So Nanik said to me in the meeting this morning, in the modern NFL, it's not about stopping the run. It's about not giving up big plays. Now you might want to slide a little closer oh, to yeah. me because I think <laughs> the old, you might get mad at that. What do you think? No, first of all, that was a close game between the Texans. I mean, it was one possession into late in the third quarter. So yeah. let's just say it shouldn't have been that close based on the talent level of the two teams. Second problem is it's hard 
for your defense not to give up big plays when they're on the field twice as much as the off- opposing offense or as your offense is. 81 plays that defense was on the field for on Monday night. 47 plays for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. How can you expect your defense not so to give up big they plays? They did double up on time of so possession. The, the He's right. Of, the part of the reason that that happened was because the Eagles drives got cut short by terrible turnovers. The issue was not with them not being able to stop the run. The issue was with them having weird, uncharacteristic turnovers. Yes, you'd love to be able to stop the run. You'd love to be able to stop everything, but you can't. <laughs> like, at some point, you have to accept that you might be a little weak in certain areas, and they are good in the areas that matter. This is not a fatal flaw. And no one walked away from that game thinking that the Eagles, that Washington was better. We all thought that Washington should have lost that game, but the Eagles, they, the refs missed the face mask call. Uh, A.J. Brown tipped the ball to the defender. Dallas Goddard fumbled, and then there was that bad roughing the passing call. Like, there were a lot of fluke occurrences, and the Eagles still had a chance to win. Nick, help me out here, because you're talking about the the turnovers and that being the reason why they lost. Are the turnovers the reason why the Eagles defense allowed a 13-play drive, a 12-play drive, a 16-play drive, a 14-play drive? I mean, at some point, your defense has to be able to get off the field, and if you can't stop the run, then that's not going to happen. Cool, cool, cool. That's not going to happen. They were 12 or 21 on third down for the commanders. That ain't got nothing to do with turnovers. I'm with you. That would be nice. It'd be nice to stop everything, but what you, you had not five double-digit play is, drives. This is the modern NFL. If you want the 2001 Ravens, I'm sorry. No one's winning Super Bowls like that anymore. You're not going to completely dominate a team and have them get nothing. Like if you think the long drives are a problem, but I think chances are, if if teams have to execute 13 plays in a row every time that they score the ball, they're gonna blow it every now and then. That's a much better strategy. Like all most modern NFL defenses do that. They want to protect the big play and force you to try to be mistake-free the entire time. And with the offense that they have, the way Jalen Hurts is playing, they're going to score more points than your opposing team in most cases if you don't have these random fluke turnovers. That that was an even better debate. We knew this was going to be a debate this morning. That was even better than we had anticipated. Where do you fall in all of this? What what is the sense around the league about all of this? Which is (laughs) the the right right side? Teams I talk to are not sold on the Eagles. I mean, they're torn. Some seem as a contender, but some say, look, they like San Francisco a little better. Feel like they have a little more firepower. Jalen Hurts is a guy that they feel like if you get in the playoffs, he could struggle. That he benefits from the scheme more than having to get it done in the pocket. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So some teams are not sold. They like the 49ers because the quarterback position in Philly is not strong. I can't. I can't. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. Stress I can't. I'm done with this. We're, we're gonna have I to retire. <laughs> we're going to talk Neek into coming back as the program continues. Why are in the you meantime, me? someone tell me Heather and Paul are ready. Oh, they are. Good news. Let's go. College football. Your updated playoff rankings. The top five remaining the same. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee. LSU moves up to number six. USC is seven. Alabama is eight, but as we have discussed before, they have basically no chance to work their way back into this thing. Uh, And you see the rest of the group behind them. Heather, back with us here. And Paul, we will uh, welcome you for the first time this morning. What was your number one takeaway from what the messages the committee sent last night? The committee likes USC, especially what they have in front of them, Greeny. It's been said before, but they have three big games. And should they win all three, including UCLA this Saturday night at the Rose Bowl, they very well may be knocking on the door of a playoff berth. 
Yeah, that, Heather brought that up earlier as well. So that, that is the pressure point right there. Watch what USC does this weekend. The, the hopes of the entire Pac-12 and maybe of a second SEC team getting in hang in the balance. In the meantime, Heather and I prepared a little exercise here. As we look at where everything shapes up these last few weeks, Heather, what is going to cause the committee its biggest headache as we go forward? LSU winning the SEC. That's because they would be the first two-loss team in the college football playoff. But think about this. They beat Georgia, right? What do you do with Georgia? Georgia's sitting there with a win against Tennessee, which at the time was the committee's number one team. But wait a minute. What do you do with Tennessee, which beat LSU in Baton Rouge? 40-13. to 13, They hammered them. So you've got three of those SEC teams. What do you do? There's undefeated TCU. It's, that is just the worst thing for them. That's the headache, exactly. Because yeah. assume we have an unbeaten Big Ten champ, whichever, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU wins out, and now you find yourself in that conundrum. How do they handle that, Paul, if it happens? Well, I, I think at that point, uh, you, you start wondering where, where does everyone go, and I think what happens is TCU is going to work its way in. TCU controls its own destiny. Tennessee is the wild card, though, and, and as much as we want to push USC, Greeny, don't forget Tennessee won by 27, as Heather pointed out, at Baton Rouge. So L- LSU is, 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 is really an interesting card right there. They still need to win at A&M. That's important because if they don't win there in a week and a half, and I don't know why they won't, A&M's lost seven games after being the preseason number six team, uh, that they, they changed the direction of everything. But Tennessee, I think it could come down to Tennessee and USC because Michigan, should it lose to Ohio State, I think is going to go bye-bye. All right, and so let's get into that because here, that when I asked you what is the hardest decision ultimately the committee is going to have to make, that's where it goes. Yeah, to take a deeper dive onto what Paul's saying about Tennessee, I'll take you inside the selection committee meeting room because their protocol states that that team that doesn't win a conference title has to be unequivocally one of the four best teams in the country. So what does that mean? It means there's no doubt around that table that Tennessee is one of the four best teams. But if they think they're comparable with a one loss, USC, they've got to use tiebreakers, including conference championship games, strength of schedule, head-to-head results, etc. Tennessee can't check the box on the conference title tiebreaker, mm-hmm. obviously, right? But it goes under the microscope without even winning their division. Tennessee's defense is 42nd in the country. The top six teams currently are in the top 20 in both offense and defense. All of those things will be scrutinized. And, and that's why it might come down to some style points. I mean, we, they like to pretend style points don't matter, but this is the time of year, and with some of these decisions to make, that they might. Paul, I'll, I'll finish this one with you, um, and you touched on it earlier. Is the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, out? Or no, no ifs, ands, or buts. I don't think so if it's Ohio State. I, I think they're hurt badly, and I mean badly because uh, they would be losing at home. However, they have a better non-conference schedule. But Michigan, to me, is gone. Ohio State will be hanging on by a thread. And what they'll need, Greeny, is some carnage. And we're talking about TCU losing, perhaps Southern Cal losing, because Tennessee is not going to lose the rest of the way. How about it, Heather? Ohio State, Michigan, how does it play out? He's right. By a hair, Ohio State needs some help, though, if that were to happen. Um, the committee chair, Boo Corrigan, talked about the slim difference between Ohio State and Michigan. Is that Notre Dame went for the right, One more thing I want everyone to see. Paul, I think you in particular will enjoy this. Uh, Heather Dinich was working late last night, obviously, with the CFP rankings coming out. And then she tweeted, saw a New York City rat, screamed out loud, this happened. Perfect end of the day. I assume this happened right in this neighborhood, Heather. Basically, you're in their territory. 
Right. Yeah, apparently I just visit, they live here and own the city, and it was, ah, you know, the high pitched <laughs> girls. <laughs> it's all right, nobody cared. Uh, uh, Paul and I had the same reaction. Paul would come down here sometimes. Uh, in the middle of the afternoon, we would see that. We'd make exactly that noise. Uh, in the meantime, our ABC and ESPN statement Saturday games featuring a Michigan and Illinois sneaky, interesting Thank game you. at noon Eastern. You got C.J. Stroud and Ohio State taking on Maryland. Nick will be excited. Clemson hosting Miami. Tennessee hosting South Carolina. Great games all on the ESPN app as well, so you can watch from anywhere. Coming up, could the AFC East possibly send all four of its team to the playoffs? Nick will answer that question and more if he has made his way back to the studio. We'll find out next. Get up on ESPN. I'm not answering this. Yes, it's a clown question, bro. Next, next, Mike, why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? What else do you want to know? Next question. Your next question. Next question. Next question. Next question. I'm not going to answer any questions from you. That's my question. The question, jerk. So every week we prepare a series of hard-hitting, provocative questions for Dominique Foxworth, and he has to answer them whether he's ready or not. And if I must say so myself, this week they are particularly spicy. Here we go. First. I'm telling you right now, one of these two divisions is going to send all four of their teams to the playoffs, the AFC East or the NFC East. Which is it going to be? I think it's got to be the NFC East. I think the AFC East teams are better, but so is the rest of the AFC. I think it's going to be tougher to hold out those wildcard teams. The NFC, I think they have a better chance because there are some actual bad teams in NFC that I don't <laughs> think stand a chance. So I think if either team does it, which, I mean, it's actually possible in the modern yep. NFL with seven uh, playoff teams. So I think if either um, division does it, it's going to be the NFC East. It, to be clear, it's never happened before. It's only been able to happen for about three years, uh, but this year every team in the NFC East is at least 500. Right now, every team in the AFC East is in the playoffs. Next, which catch was better? Okay. OBJ or Justin Jefferson? I gotta go with OBJ. I, and I understand the reasons why you go with Justin Jefferson, but catches that are like memorable, it's about that snapshot. It was just so beautiful, so perfect on Monday night in prime time. Mm. Everyone's watching. A star was born that night. He went on to have great success going forward. But I think this catch is probably even more dis difficult and more consequential in the course of this particular game. But it's nowhere near as pretty as that Odell Beckham catch was. I, I'm with you. I actually agree with your assessment of it completely. The OBJ one might be harder, but this one, because of the circumstances, yeah. might become greater. By the way, I just told that Justin Jefferson was named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Okay, one more. Josh McDaniels is losing a lot of games in Vegas. The quarterback is up there in tears at the podium. If I told you right now, only one of those two will be back next season, McDaniels or Derek Carr in Vegas, which one's it going to be? Well, I think, first of all, we should take it easy on Josh McDaniels because he lost to, like, the eventual coach of the year in Jeff Saturday. That's, <laughs> that's a reasonable thing to yeah. have happen to anybody. But I think he would be the one that's going to be back. Derek Carr, his uh, cap situation is not too onerous next year. They could move on from him. And given the track that they're on, they're going to have a very high pick. And you know what you do with high picks? When their quarterback's available, you draft quarterbacks. So moving on from Derek Carr, I think it's much more likely than moving on from
from uh, Josh McDaniels after one season. It may be more likely because they tend to always get things wrong. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. We can argue about that yeah. one a little bit later on the radio. All right, much more NFL as we go. But right now, i got to show you the performance of the night. Oh, Ja Morant, spectacular. Neek, you're going to like this. Chris Canty, take a look. Ja, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Ja Morant, Zion not playing, but Ja putting on a show. Here we go. Closing seconds of the first. Ja putting the J in Ja. From Ooh, from long range. That's that long-distance phone call. He's always making plays like that. Chris. So he can do that, and then he can do this. Dominic, look at him turning defense into offense on the fly. The Reed-esque interception right there, and then a great finish. He floats. He, he does. 36 points last night for John Morant doing a little Don't bit do of it. Uh-oh. Don't do it, CJ. Don't do it. Make that business decision. <laughs> look at that. Switching hands in the air. Jordan-esque. Again, 36 points for John last night, but it wouldn't be enough. Brand, no one talks about Brandon Ingram, but he is spectacular. He had 19 last night. Uh, young little baby Durant. He's killing him. He always has been. And then CJ McCollum, who you mentioned a moment ago, uh, had a little bit of a slump, but he shot his way out of it last night. He had 30. So Jaws 36, not enough. Pelicans without Zion get the win 113 to 102. And with that, we bring in uh, the one and only NBA senior NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj, let's dive into this. I got people this morning in our meeting telling me two things. Jaws the MVP, and the Grizzlies are going to win the West. What, what do you make of either or both of those? Uh, both Greeny, both are very possible. And I think especially, I think for Ja Morant, team success certainly helps with winning an MVP. And this is a Memphis team that has every opportunity to, to emerge as the one seed in the West. They got Jaron Jackson Jr. back last night, his first game this season after offseason foot surgery. Uh, five block shots. His minutes will continue to increase. Uh, they, but they lose Desmond Bain for a couple weeks. Uh, their shooting guard, and, and Bain's a player who this season, you know, stepped up and, and has started to look like an all-star. And, and that Morant, Desmond Bain backcourt is as formidable as any in the league. So they're going to have Bain back in a couple weeks. And I think this is a Memphis team that has everything it takes uh, to be a one seed in the West. Remember, they were the two seed last year. And right now, John Morant, interesting stat with him, third most paint points in the league over the last couple of years. The last four MVPs, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, you know, both seven-footers, of course, the mm -hmm. only two players with more paint points than him. Uh, this could be John Morant's year. Absolutely. He's just spectacular. And, of course, they gave the Warriors all they could handle in the playoffs last year. And now the Warriors, Woj, and obviously on Countdown, you're with us every week, almost everybody picking the Warriors to repeat this year. They haven't won a game on the road all season long. What level of concern are you sensing coming out of San Francisco right now? Uh, certainly, Greeny, not a level where I think the Warriors are thinking about changes or they've got to uh, make uh, you know, make trades or really impact this roster. I think they think the answers are still within. This is a team that's really gotten poor performance from their bench, especially on the defensive end. Steph Curry is having an historic season, you know, averaging 30 points and 50% shooting from the floor, 40% from three and 90% from the line. Uh, no one's done that since his, M his unanimous MVP season. Uh, but this is a team, I think, uh, I think especially on the defensive end, 28th in the league in defensive efficiency, uh, that's where their improvement has to start. And I think as their younger players uh, start 
to, to be, be able to give them better minutes, more meaningful minutes. Uh, this is a team that I think is, is certainly going to be back in contention, uh, but I think right now it's, it's, it's not an easy road to a repeat for Golden State. They've got a lot of work to do. Well, speaking of defensive struggles, we were going to show you what Sacramento did to the Nets last night, but the show's only two hours long, and they gave up 153 <laughs> points in regulation last night to Sacramento, the Nets did. So let's get a little sense of what's going on there with Brooklyn in particular. What is the latest on, on Kyrie Irving and his possible return? You know, Greedy, as you know, we reported last week it was unlikely that Kyrie Irving would play at all on this road trip. They're headed for the final game of this four-game trip. In Portland on Thursday, that still holds true. Brooklyn's back at home against Memphis on Sunday, and I, I'm told Kyrie Irving has made progress. There's a, a list of things essentially he had to check uh, check the boxes on uh, to be able to return to get approval from the Nets, uh, the NBA. I'm told he's made progress on that, and I think once the Nets get off of this road trip and head back east, then I think you start to look. Uh, it's more of a timetable for a Kyrie Irving return, but I do think he'll be back with this team, and I think uh, it'll be in the relative, relatively near future. All right, we'll keep an eye on that and everything else. Woj, outstanding as always. We will see you tonight because we have our star-studded NBA Wednesday doubleheader tonight. Starts in Atlanta. Trey Young and the Hawks hosting Jason Tatum and the Celtics. Then we will see Steph and the Warriors taking on D-Book and the Suns. Coverage tips off with NBA Countdown tonight, 7 Eastern on ESPN and on the ESPN app. Coming up, Jerry Jones playing defense after Dak's bad day in Green Bay. Is his quarterback good enough to lead these boys to the Super Bowl? Wait till you hear what Jerry had to say. You will next get up on ESPN.